You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. So, I have a couple questions for you this week. Does your diet make you feel good? How's your energy? Are you performing and recovering well? How do you really feel? If we're honest, many of us don't even really know. I know there were many stretches when, even though I was tuning into these things and paying really close attention and racing every weekend, I really had no idea. I I got swept up in whatever phases were popular at the time, whether that was high carb, low carb, no carb. It's hard not to be swayed when you're seeing and hearing and reading about all these ways that are supposedly the one way to eat for health and performance. And maybe you're seeing teammates or family members or people you follow on Instagram and they seem happy and successful. So you just like go right along with whatever they're doing. And you can really kind of lose sight of yourself and how you're actually doing. And honestly, that's before you even throw weight into the picture. I've talked about this before. Despite the fact that I was racing very successfully, there was a period where I decided I needed to be lighter and lighter, but it didn't make me better and better. And I was getting regularly beaten by women who were definitely not lighter and lighter. But guess what? They were stronger and more powerful. How did I feel at the time? Who knows? I was feeling an idea, not a body. So this week, I was really psyched to sit down with longtime sports dietitian and endurance athlete, Dina Griffin. And we dig into all of these issues, as well as many others like fat burning, metabolic flexibility, power to weight, and more. I really appreciated all of her thoughtful insights, for sure. Dina is the owner and founder of The Nutrition Mechanic, a nutrition coaching company based out of Boulder, Colorado, and she blends science-based and evidence-informed strategies along with truly real-life considerations to create personalized plans for her athletes. And she has a particular passion for working with women's health, including, of course, the menopausal transition. So you can learn more about her and her services at nutritionmechanic.com. Okay, my little weekly reminder to check out our social media channels. You can find us at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. We have that private and growing fast hit play, not pause Facebook channel where you can pretty much come in and have the conversations we're having, ask anything you want. And of course, if you want to deep dive into all things active menopausal living, we've got our Feisty Menopause membership, where we offer in-depth materials, expert webinars, and sponsor discounts. You can learn all about that at feistymenopause.com. And a little reminder, because I've been forgetting to tell you, I do have an email. And if you have any ideas for guests or you want to drop me a line, you can do so at Hit play, not pause at livefeisty.com. Again, that's hit play, not pause at livefeisty.com. Finally, we had some snafus with iTunes last week as Apple made some big platform changes, but that all seems to be ironed out. It made me a little, it gave me a little anxiety when I woke up Wednesday and I'm like, my podcast is gone, but it's there. Everything's good. We seem to be up and rolling. So kindly keep sharing the show on your socials, following and or subscribing on your podcast platforms and keep on giving us those great reviews and ratings. It is making a difference. It warms my heart. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Enough of me. Let's have a quick word from our generous and awesome sponsors and get on with the show. Hit Play, Not Pause is proud to be sponsored by Noon Hydration in 2021. I have been a huge fan of Noon for well over a decade. They have products for immunity, recovery, getting a good night's rest, and I absolutely swear by their Podium series, which include branch chain amino acids that are super important for women during and after menopause. So show your support 
and head over to noonlife.com. That's noon, N-U-U-N, life, one word. And use the code FEISTYMENOPAUSE, again, one word, with a capital F and a capital M, for 30%, yes, 30% off of all of Noon's amazing products. Again, noonlife.com, use the code FEISTYMENOPAUSE, with a capital F and a capital M, and get 30% off of anything you want. Check it out. Like many of you, I try to eat well, train well, take the supplements I need, and track my recovery, sleep, and progress. So imagine my surprise when I found out I had elevated blood sugar, high cortisol, out-of-whack lipids, and was borderline anemic. Yeah, all while I was racing well and feeling actually pretty great. Turns out, all of my training stress was taking a hidden toll. How did I find out? Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a service that analyzes your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to provide you a personalized, science-based, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is simpler, cheaper, and more convenient than traditional blood tests, and their blood tests also include biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from traditional blood tests like ferritin and vitamin D. My favorite part? They don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. And I've taken those actions myself and have been improving those markers and ultimately my health. So for a limited time, my friends at Inside Tracker are offering my listeners 25% off their entire store. So go to insidetracker.com slash menopause to take advantage of that offer. Again, it's insidetracker.com slash Feisty menopause, I can tell you, it works. Well, thanks for being here. I let, let's, you know, I, I there's so much we could talk about, right? So, so I want, I want to, I want to do some broad brushes, things that you and I have been musing on emailing about discussing and then like let's talk about you know a little bit of the nuts and bolts and leave people with some information but you know let's let's start with the top you call your business the nutrition mechanics and I've always been a little curious about how you came up with the um because it implies fixing or tuning and I'm I'm curious what it is you believe in the services that you're offering that people actually get yeah, I know because the name may not be super intuitive, right? But um, with nutrition mechanic, part of it was supposed to be playful in a way, just mm-hmm. because I I love tinkering around with things to to fix them or tweak or repair or whatever. Applying it to the nutrition realm, um, it is kind of multi leveled with some diagnostics. You know, trying to figure mm-hmm. out what mm-hmm. what really is there non-judgmentally and more objectively just trying to Mm -hmm, see mm -hmm. what's going on maybe with body systems and things but then there is that fine-tuning aspect because I I really believe that like none of us need to be fixed per se right it's just um uh, looking to optimize things that maybe aren't going as well as we had hoped or just realizing as we age and especially through our women's aging process and different hormonal stages, just how our bodies change and our response to food changes in ways we may not have predicted. So it is uncovering more of that, yet trying to be supportive um, and educate along the way. So I'm never one to, to dictate, like you have to I have to put you in a box and you have to follow these 10 steps. It's more really um, seeing what's there and then working with the individual to do that fine tuning and and providing the pathways to do so. Excellent. Excellent. I I like that. I like that a lot. And we're going to circle back to that a couple times in this conversation because I have I have a lot of thoughts about all of that and questions about that and what you do. But I'd actually like to start with this this larger discussion. Um, you know, I actually left 
my personal training business, though I'm still a, a certified personal trainer, because the body negativity did me in. Woman after woman would come in and just proclaim all the things she hated about herself. I hate my thighs. I hate this. I hate this. And it, uh, wow, it just, it just, it was too much emotionally, honestly, for me to bear. And I just, it was something that I, I tried to help in other ways, but never, just never could fight the the larger messages that the people were getting at the time. And this was, you know, this was probably 15 years ago when things were worse in my mind, even. I feel like we have come quite a while, quite a ways in that. I do. And I feel like there's been a lot of things that have helped that. I, I credit the CrossFit community all the time with a lot of that body positivity because a lot of women in larger bodies took to that and just discovered how strong they were. And, you know, there's just like this whole other thing. And I love it. Um, you know, so I, but but all that said, we're still not quite there, right? Like there's still like a lot of negativity. So I'm curious. I'm curious about your experience because sports dietitians exist in this intersection of performance and aesthetics. And, you know, you say that, you know, nine, time out of ten, nine times out of ten, like women will walk through your door and they want body composition changes. And I'm betting that performance might be driving some of it, but not always. What is, yes. what is your experience? There? There's a lot there, Celine. Um, I know, yeah. we could go for how, can you uh, fix this? Are we going to fix see. this now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I think it's cool in a way that we're in the middle of this transformation and we have, you know, like your podcast has opened these channels of conversation and like changing the tone of how we even use words and language. Um, but to, to the body composition and that whole, like almost pigeonholed, um, I won't say obsession, but that whole drive towards, you know, equating um, fitness and health with how body composition is supposed to be, or in air quotes, you know, the ideal, um, trying to work through that. And so, you know, when I work with a new athlete, especially my female athletes, it's, you know, it's kind of like detective hat comes on or private investigator hat, like, trying to understand the beliefs around what it is you think you want or need from a body composition perspective and what you think that will yield from an outcome perspective. Even though the body composition is an outcome um, that they may be seeking, it's like, well, what what does that get you? Um, and so if it is performance driven, you know, there's that conversation, well, you know, how much faster do you really think that will, you know, bring to your performance result um, and uncovering some of the risks around that sole pursuit of changing body composition. Like maybe we're missing some of these other layers uh, in terms of how you feel and what is really your health foundation, uh, if that makes sense. So there can be a lot of that uh you know, inter-individual discussion around beliefs and um, the messaging that we're hearing and just really understanding the person's starting point um, and, and their past journey, right? Because that, that can be a lot lifelong, as you've talked about before on the podcast, just um, things that we went through in early childhood or adolescence and how that right, persists right. in our adulthood. Do you help them see, I have, a, I have a couple questions here, but, you know, if, if I were to come into you, or if I would have come into you at any point in my athletic life, honestly, like, there, there have definitely, there were definitely times that I performed much better 10 pounds heavier than 10 pounds lighter, right? Like, and, and somebody could have um, objectively shown me that, even though in my head, it, like, as a cyclist, it's like, lighter is always better. What do you mean? Lighter is always better. Um, do you... You know, when, when you're working with someone, especially if they have, like, grandiose goals, you know, like, goals to, like, be an elite level of something, do you help them see that power to weight in action? That, you know, wh where that falls? Because, I mean, for recreational purposes and for purposes of performance to complete and to feel good and to be healthy, that does look a little different than somebody at 
maybe the pointy end of the competitive spectrum. Yet even at the pointy end, I have talked to many, many athletes who, like myself, the Katie Comptons of the world, right, who, who performed well at like a higher, a higher weight, but still kept getting this pressure from coaches, you know, to take it down even at their detriment. Like, so do you, is there a way that you work with them to help them like fit, like see numerically, metrically, like this is what is working for you? I try, Celine. I mean, yeah. when, when we have some of the metrics we can look at for sure. Otherwise it is, it is some of that touchy feely stuff. Like, well, how are you actually feeling and kind of correlating a training day with um, not looking necessarily like grams and calories and, you know, percent of this and that, but it's like, look at, look at how you performed um, independent of what body comp is saying today. Right. And, and how is this recovery process going and really um, checking in on all of the those touchy-feely things. I know that sounds kind of woo-woo, but it's like steering away from, um, you know, number on the scale or percent body fat or what the coach might have said about needing to, to drop a couple more pounds prior to competition. But it, it does come back to sh- sharing others' experiences. Now we've got more, you know, literature to support that it isn't, uh, you know, some of these um, ideals that we have around um, ideal body weight, even where that comes from, whether that's old, you know, literature or based in in men or whatever. Um, but ha- it's really. Uh, honoring that discussion time and a little bit of convincing and and building trust that yes we can actually perhaps have more body mass but there therein lies strength and power and look we're nourishing well the body is healthy right now and we've got you know all of those boxes checked um isn't that a cool thing despite right yeah Right, right. And can we also acknowledge that in many cases, we actually don't know what's going on? Like, I, I think about I think about Kaylee and Marley from All Bodies on Bikes. And for those who don't know, there's a Shimano video out of two cyclists who they self-identify as fat cyclists. You know, however you want to use that word is... is um, it is what it is. That's, the, that's how they call themselves. Just like you would use blonde, redhead, short skinny, they use fat. And they have both been fat since they were kids. And Kaylee talks about like being to the doctor and being put on diets and and everything. And she cycles all around all all over the place, hundreds of 1000s of miles, you know, and the body is not changed, you know, and she has tried all those things. And, you know, we don't know if we have no idea why some people live in larger bodies and and that are resistant to any weight loss, you know, you know, people have this idea because we've given them this idea that if you do the right things, if you diet and if you exercise, the weight will come off. Like we, they've been fed this message for a long, long time. And it is not true for everybody, period. Like it just, and so we make them feel like failures and this is what we've done and, and what has been created. But it, it, it's the arrogance of thinking that we know everything. And medical science does not know everything. We don't know how the, the gut biome. We don't know how antibiotics. We don't know how plastics. We don't know how pollution. We don't know how genetics. We don't know how, like, there's a billion different factors that could go into what our sizes are and our health, you know, all of that. So it's, to, be, to circle it back to your point of, like, how are you feeling? How are you performing? How's it going? You know, exactly. I think is a better starting point. And I think... Sometimes, Celine, just showing, even if we have blood work or other, um, again, some of that other maybe diagnostic data just to show, you know what, your body is operating um, well, right? Look at the, in this kind of like metrics, right? The blood work shows health, how we've defined it, even in a clinical perspective. So, I mean, we can have we can have even the flip side, right? As you've talked about before, just um, smaller body individuals who are not healthy 
metabolically, right? So I think yes. when we have some supporting data to just show um, or, or help that person understand that it isn't just the, the body size isn't a determinant of health. Um, and, and then looking in on the subjectives and, and the body acceptance piece, of course, there's so much stigma and shaming and things on a, you know, societal level that we still have to work through. And hopefully this is changing. It's just a slow process, unfortunately. So I know this happens to you. I'm 100% sure you must hear this. So I'm going to come into you now as a menopausal transition woman and say, Dina, I always, my weight has changed and it's a drag when I run now. It's a drag when I'm trying to do this stuff like, and I can't seem to get back where I was. And maybe people won't get back to where they were before. I mean, but how do you work with me then? How do you work with someone who some of the joy dial has been turned down because this transition has changed their body composition in a way that they find unfavorable? Well, I'll first say, have you listened to Celine's Hit Play Not Pause podcast? Because let's tune in a little bit better. No, I'm just kidding. It's good Although advice. I may anyway. throw that in. <laughs> I mean, it is, uh, let's see, explaining kind of these changes. I shouldn't say kind of, right? Going through the um, physiology and some of that explanation just on a body level of um, the varying uh, changes that do occur and explaining too that you know this um, it, even though we may not like the word you know it's a normal part of what we mm -hmm. may experience but providing that encouragement that we can adjust some things from a training perspective and a nutrition perspective and look at some of the other life pillars to make sure there is, you know, some uh, or see if there's a, an opportunity for some adjustments or again, that fine tuning to support or, you know, help out how the body is changing. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, you know, I'm just trying to be delicate and sensitive to it. I mean, I'm experiencing these things myself, too, so I can relate. But the fact that it is so individual um, in that, I mean, one of the common things is that change in, in power or that ability to move the body in the same way that we could have 10 or 15 years ago. Um, so along with that process, of course, from the nutrition perspective, I'm looking to make sure that uh, some things like energy provided to the body. So what is the, the dietary pattern that the individual or you would be following? Because it's, it's possible that without you knowing, you've just been um, uh, under feeding or uh, maybe providing nourishment in such a way that's that's not helping you and it just at some point it cascades and then we feel it you know um but as you know Celine uh especially for our active and athletic women who have a coach not everyone's up to speed yet on how to adjust the training and exercise programming to work with uh you know our changing hormones um I'm just kind of throwing out things that that come to mind that may come into the conversation. Right, uh, it's right. Like, well, you may not realize that these changes are going on within the body, but based on what you're feeling and what you describe, it sounds like these are some, you know, areas of opportunity that we can work with from that nutrition and, you know, maybe the training um, paradigm needs to ch shift as well. So, so speaking sort of like specifically, would you have me, like, how would you work with me? Would, would you have me track what I'm eating? Would you have me track my training? Like what, what I mean, I know we're not, we don't like to go into the, the ground, like the, the, the minutia of having people track every morsel that goes into their mouths, but at some point we need to figure out, you know, what, what's going on and what, what might be able to be tweaked. I typically like to start with non-tracking approach to learn 
what what's going on with you. So as much info as you can give uh, in terms of habits, you know, time of day you typically eat, um, your sleep regimen or that whole routine in the evening, you know, it's not I don't usually like to start with, um, you know, let's track everything into the calorie tracker because I can get a sense um, based on more of a full report, like what's going on. And and then it's a little less Mm -hmm. stress for you. Plus, as you know, sometimes the accuracy of, of, you know, logging every morsel (laughs) of food and beverage (laughs) can be can be a stressor in and of itself. Um, totally, so I have totally. a log sheet that's more like, how do you feel when you wake up and what's going on around you? And then, of course, there is, well, how are you, you know, I like to not use the word diet anywhere. It's more um, uh, what is what is the nourishment, right, that you, you're providing in the morning hours um, mm-hmm. and how do you feel as a response and just cluing into other Uh, subjectives there like hunger level and stress level and um, you know if we can include some of the training metrics so just so I get a sense like well how hard are you working or how long is this and what kind of training block or what kind of um, routine do you have from a physical perspective so it's a lot of information capture there in the beginning but to answer your question, it's not quantitatively driven from a calorie tracker so much as it is the big picture and and then just kind of um, getting a sense or a better clue of the, the patterns that we're in right now from a nutritional perspective. Right. No, that ma- that makes total sense. And, and I'm wondering if you typically see or if you often see low energy availability, if you often see that women are not eating enough. I'm going to say yes on that one. Yes. Uh, and it, it, not to be cliche, but it does f- kind of fall into something you've said repeatedly here, even on the podcast, um, recent podcast, just, you know, we get in, we, we notice bodies changing and maybe mm-hmm. for some that means putting on more um, abdominal weight, for example. And then mm-hmm. there's that, thinking because of how we've been taught over the years well geez you're just not exercising enough and you're eating too much so we need to just change that stuff and so I will say that is still a common um, thing that I see and I kind of come into the picture later on when things have kind of hit the fan so that's where the mechanic hat comes on and we we, let's undo some of this um being again I'm I'm always trying to be compassionate and gentle in my approach non-judgmental of course but uh explaining explaining when I have the opportunity what's going on from that physiology perspective the Mm -hmm. body systems just to you know so I'm not pulling stuff out of the air right we've got (laughs) the body's smart and it's going to figure out what to do to to save your life um but (laughs) but you don't feel so good so let's and and we're going to start to suffer more down the road if we don't intervene right and try to and, and correct some things in a way that's realistic for you. How do women receive that message? Like, do you, like, I, I run into so many women who don't know how to eat. Like, they actually just don't remember, like, what it is like to just eat, you know, without mm-hmm. checking, without thinking, without all this. Like, where do you start with somebody? Yeah, Celine, I love to, for you to comment as well back, just because uh, even with, um, like the intuitive eating approach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't, s- okay, I'm, I'll try and break this down a little bit and not so long of an answer, but how is it received? Um, <laughs> sometimes we do have to start with the intuitive approach, which before I help re- guide you on how to eat it is connecting to how you feel as a result of how you're eating right now so it's Mm -hmm. it's like rewiring 
mind-body connections, um, it's not always received well, right? Because some people in a, a maybe a large majority actually want to just be told here are the I was just going to say when people go to a nutritionist they want someone just to tell me how to eat you hear that all the time just tell me what to eat please just tell me what to eat I know that that does raise my blood pressure a little bit like okay (laughs) I'm not here to just write you a meal plan because if you want Mm -hmm. one that actually works with what's going on we gotta work together on this stuff plus you know you have your lifestyle and your food preferences and 1400 other things that we need to factor in so it is like kind of forming a team um and really digging in to to more than just okay let's have 26 grams of protein at 10 a.m and make sure you put your 14 grams of this or that in um (laughs) because we really have to connect to how this stuff is is going to um, improve or change the course that you're on, meaning your your hormonal course or your life course or whatever your health goals are. Um, so I know all of this is is kind of general, or what I'm saying here maybe is is a little woo woo, but it's to me the more we can dig in on all of those other levels, um, working at, as you as you appreciate like working with the physiology but knowing we can Mm -hmm. work on an intuitive level but also there are the strategies that we've come to appreciate here even more recently that we apply to our menopausal perimenopausal years so it's like kind of like the venn diagram there's overlap there we have to build our intuitive self or rebuild it, but we also have some strategies for our what we're going through that we can apply. So can you talk a little bit specifically about that? The strategies. Like that like. Yeah. Yeah, and kind of the learning how to eat or re-learning mm-hmm. how, like you were yeah. saying earlier. Yeah, um, I mean, a big thing I see commonly is is nutrition around exercise that we're doing still that notion of you know trying to burn more calories to change body composition or oh I'm just doing you know this quote-unquote easy workout I don't need to do much fueling for that I can worry about that later so it is putting some attention around uh, type and timing of of the exercise we do and looking at the nutrition around that and maybe during for our longer sessions but a bit another big thing which is probably no surprise here is the protein piece Um, there's a lot of protein fear that exists fear really Still? Fear, yes. What well, is the protein fear, Dana? Fear, some of it is that, um, especially for those who are omnivorous, like, well, I shouldn't eat too much animal protein because that may cause cancer. Or I can't hmm. ever have these kinds of proteins. Of course, we have from some of... Um, there's a lot of mixed messages too that everybody should be plant-based I know you've covered that before so it's working through a lot of the um, misconceptions and kind of you know showing some of the evidence that we have around protein um, and how it can benefit us women in particular especially as we're in perimenopause postmenopause years Mm -hmm. so those Mm -hmm. two things can be huge but but honestly then we get into some of the micronutrients and looking at um, support for our our bone density and Mm -hmm. some of that so those are more the you know the sciencey things but then of course we always have to bring in like well how's this making you feel and and we can work with what your food preferences are so again i'm not trying to impose that you have to follow this meal plan because that won't work we're looking for the long haul here so right, right. long game right so when, when you when you talk about that protein piece because I, I get a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of questions I see a lot of questions popping up all over the channels about that uh, a lot of women 
uh, reach for protein powders. You know, there's a lot of use of, of protein supplements, protein powders, protein bars. You got, you get, you know, the drill. What, what is, what it, where do you come down on that? Like, what do you think about supplemental protein sources like that? How, how to best wade into those waters for women who are like, whoa, that's a lot of protein I need right now. Cause it, I, you know, I, I, I tend to sort of build everything around my protein, but I get that if you haven't traditionally, it does sound like a lot of protein that, that we need when people start throwing out those numbers and then you even look at it like you should have 30 grams of protein and then you go like, well, two eggs is 16, you know, like where where am I getting the rest of it? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it can be a baby step process to, you know, work up to what our protein needs are. I'm a fan of supplemental proteins like in the protein powder form. Um, typically, I'll vote for that more around our training, um, especially if it's convenient and more easy for us to get that in. Uh, You know, I'm, of course, we have looking at the quality of protein powders and that whole... I was just going to say, there's a, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, I can walk into GNC and get like banana foster flavored muscle shake. Oh, I know. It's got 75 grams of sugar. And I'm just like, okay, is this really what I need? (laughs) I mean, certainly (laughs) we want to look at the other edible, chewable proteins. So I think one trick that I, um, or it's not trick, it's just just a strategy is like, let's just brain dump right now all of the proteins that you like. And I literally like old school, I'll write all that stuff down, beans and tofu or whatever, go through the list and then work through, oh, maybe we just need to eat a little bit more of your beans here and maybe a little bit more. Can you add another, you know, some cheese to your eggs or whatever it is and try to work that way. But the protein powders, I think as athletes and very active, you know, we're doing a lot already to to try and, uh, you know, keep fitness or, you know, improve um, our aerobic health or whatever strength. Uh, So I kind of see it like, well, if you're going to do this, maybe we need to complement it with this. And so is it really that big of a deal if we have to use some protein powder occasionally to just meet your needs and by the way it'll help your training adaptation and recovery (laughs) all the other benefits i try to sell you on right right do you help them do you help them choose like is there are there any parameters to look for for choosing a good because the, the, the market is really really confusing it is when you go into the protein powder yeah i mean mean, there's some basic guidelines guardrails that 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 are for choosing one that's mm -hmm. you know bioavailable but yet not loaded with a lot of additives that maybe you don't want yeah i mean there's a few things there uh depending on the individual we can look at the nsf certification just the you know the quality standards yep safer Mm -hmm. sport um so we've got that assurance. And then, of course, we've got the type of protein powder, your whey protein versus your plant proteins. Um, so depending on that person's preference, right, we can we have to work down that decision tree. Um, I mean, it kind of depends, too, Celine, on what how we're using that protein powder. If it's being blended into a shake, you know, do, we don't maybe need those flavorings and we'll let the, you know, the fruit flavor it or our little additives in our our shake that we add from other f- food sources. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I do get picky about uh, brands and what we're looking. I'm not sponsored or affiliated with any companies. So oh, yeah, I, I tend fine. to give a list like here are three or four that meet the criteria and, and you can choose with what's in your budget and what works for you. Um, what's your favorite? Oh, I tend to use a whey protein isolate. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And I have a few brands that I like, but um, I mean, I tend to use the Thorn brand, but mm-hmm. there, there are a whole bunch that are decent. I like Momentum for some of their plant blends. Yeah. Uh, 
So, yeah, I know. I, I'm always trying different ones, so to see, like, flavor-wise, yeah, I bet. Yeah. Well, that's it. How does it mix? Is it palatable? For sure. Yeah, there's a Are lot of things Are you kind of plugging your nose as you down it, or is it, yeah, easy on the palate? I heard there was a whole thread discussion in the membership about protein powder and gas. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you have any, like, women saying that they... We're getting gassy from protein powders. Um, and that actually, when I started Googling it, there are lots of different stories about that. So they're not alone. Um, any any thoughts there? I mean, I, I have seen a number of protein powders that are very high in fiber. Um, and mm. they'll add something like chicory root or some of the other longer chain fibers. You know, it's kind of like those protein powders that try to be a meal replacement as well right <laughs> it's right. like a lot for the digestive tract but depending on the protein powder it can absorb pretty quickly so that could be an impact um, gotcha. leading to gas or just some of those fermentable carbohydrates being in said protein powder that could be a problem gotcha gotcha so let's let's change gears here and talk about um, talk about a subject that that might may or may not raise your blood pressure again. We want to keep you healthy on the show. But <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Um, um, let's talk fat burning. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, because I'm sure you hear all the time, and it's out there in the ether everywhere. Want to be a better fat burner, Dina? Make me a better fat burner. Um, you know, and that's why people fast, and that's why they go no carb, low carb, ketones, the whole thing. Talk about what fat burning is, what optimizing your substrate utilization is, and metabolic flexibility. Like what that actually looks like for an for our audience. Okay, so. I know, I think some of us go to, in our mind, like fat burning means burning more calories to lose fat. Is that kind of what you sense, the pulse of... I sense that it's going to burn the fat off my hips when I'm riding my bike. Uh I mean, I think that's what people think. You know, I think like they get up in the morning, they have their shot of black espresso, they get on their bike and they go out and ride because they are just going to like, it's going to pull their energy (laughs) straight from their pantry and they're behind. And like, I'm not kidding. Like, I think that this is what the thought processes are. And I'm not sure it works that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, correct. Um, Well, so... substrate utilization or you know the oxidation or the burning of our fuel sources I mean we could just break it down first to say primarily our bodies burn fat uh, or carbohydrate although it's really never one or the other unless we're at extreme high intensity exercise or we're just totally couch potatoing where you would burn one fuel or Mm -hmm. the other exclusively Um, So we have stored carbohydrates, stored fat. Those are the predominant fuel sources if we aren't in a starvation state uh, where protein, you know, catabolism takes place more. So uh, when it comes to the, you know, burn more fat from a substrate perspective and from the physiological perspective, if we put you on a metabolic cart, and I, I know you've done that before, Celine and I have mm-hmm. done that testing for years now. We can see when they put a mask over your face and they have you ride until you want to vomit. Yes. So we can see, <laughs> yeah, how does your body mm-hmm. burn or convert fat, fatty acids to energy and how much how many calories are you burning from fat versus carbohydrate? So Right. And I will mm-hmm. tell you when I had that done. Inigo San Milan mm-hmm. told me I was a quote unquote world class fat burner. I had it done at like a high level place in, in your backyard. And that sounds great, except I was not so metabolically flexible. Um, so when the time came to be a better carb burner, which is you do need to do when you're going to like sprint, surge, all that high intensity stuff. I wasn't as, it was not as easy for me. And and that was a product of um, 
me following some stupid low carb eating that and, and I say stupid because like I should have known better and I was like taking a little bit of science and going too far with it me personally okay. um, and he's like you need to do more zone two and don't be afraid of eating carbs you know yes. <laughs> that was pretty much yeah well so there's a, a bunch here to unpack but we can I'll just try to give a few things and you can steer me if we want to talk more about it um to be a better fat burner first of all thinking of oh I oxidize more fat look at my metabolic testing it shows me I burn a lot of fat that doesn't equate to like shedding fat tissue off of any single body part or even losing fat so we can be amazing fat burners and have a you know a high body fat percentage so I hope I hope that right it just means that you're burning more fat while exercising right like you're preferentially burning more fat which isn't a bad thing because you don't want to be at the other end you want like it does help because I'm an ultra endurance rider that helps me right because I've got all the fat stores even very lean riders have are I keep saying riders but athletes have all the fat stores in the world so it is it helps you not bonk as much when you're going very long and all that kind of there's there's definitely benefits to that but I also would argue that endurance training makes you a better fat burner so I'll right, agree. Like that's a natural process. Yeah. Our exercise okay. is top notch, right? For uh, enhancing our our fat burning, our fat oxidation. However, I will add right. a caveat real quick, like <laughs> that sure. I have tested no, a number of athletes who are very well trained, but I put them on metabolic cart. And even at moderate intensities, they're not burning that much fat. So this is where the dietary hmm. pattern comes in. Okay. I know. Okay. And there aren't... Yeah, talk about that a little bit. So if we look then at what the pattern is for that individual or that athlete, like this is weird. You know, your, your perceived effort's only 5 out of 10. And, you know, you're not burning all that much fat even though your heart rate is in what we would think is an aerobic zone oftentimes I will see Celine that there's not much protein there's a high I'm gonna there's no you know bad about this I'm just saying what I've seen a high amount of carbohydrate feeding meal after meal after meal without much protein without much fat so it's like the so you're burning what you have on board that's it so we have our right. exercise, but our dietary pattern, and this just from, you know, the testing I've seen and done, our dietary pattern can influence how we also will burn fat or not. And I think that's where all this keto stuff and low carb and fasted workouts, because we're trying to force the body. If we don't feed it carb, you know, then it's not going to burn it is the thinking. But then that's right, and and it, that's true. But it swings it too far to the other direction if you far. give it no carbs. Right, right. That is a very great explanation of how this happens. And that's you, like, and you want to be flexible. Want, you want to be able to burn. Um, yeah. Yes. So the metabolic flexibility is like, yeah. If I'm doing my, if I'm sitting here like I am right now, I should be burning more fat. We want that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it does correlate to metabolic health. Um, but as, you know, if I'm going to sprint down the street, well, I want to burn more carbohydrates, you know, that's more efficient for, uh, that whole metabolic, um, you know, that whole fuel pathway. And I want to be able to sustain that for whatever, you know, period of time. So that flexibility is like, well, what am I, is my body doing right now? And what is the most optimal fuel source predominantly to, to supply the energy to do that particular movement or um, intensity? So that flexibility means, yeah, when I need to burn carbs, I'm climbing up a mountain, surging or whatever, then heck, I, I want to be tapping into my carbohydrate storage but I don't want to deplete that storage too quickly either so that's where the dietary um, piece comes in I'm very passionate about this is the periodization aspect even as women and I know this might be contended a little bit but even though we say you know us women are good fat burners 
And we know now it's mm-hmm. not just estrogen that plays a role. There's different muscle enzyme activity and, you know, differences in our um, mitochondria and so forth. But I've tested a number of women who in both hormone phases, high and low hormone phases, they're not burning all that much fat. And so that's where I look at the dietary pattern and we make adjustments and tweak. Not, I'm not saying go low carb. I'm just saying strategic carbohydrate. And are you even eating enough and putting in the proteins uh, and optimize that whole you know, format of where and how nutrition um, plays and, and affects your metabolic fuels. If there was one place that you would tell women to start, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is what I'm hearing and this is what I personally believe, uh, would it be in that nutrition supporting their activity before, during, and after their activity? Do you think that that makes the most impact out of the gate? Let me think on that. I, I will say that makes a difference because it's long been neglected and because it Mm -hmm. can without proper attention Celine right it can lead to more compromises in the body if we're not honoring that so my I would say that area of attention is an amazing starting point also because it can affect not only this short term day to day how we're feeling but just what it is we want to achieve with our own endeavors Right, right. And it also leaves you a little less susceptible, I think, to to your point, maybe to the cascade of what can happen when you neglect the nutrition around your activity. That, oh, I'm just going out for a couple hours on my bike, or I'm just whatever. And then like, at seven o'clock at night, you are famished and, and doing, you know, making choices that maybe you wouldn't make to support yourself. Um, because you did not support yourself when you need, when your body really needed that support. It's true. Yes, totally agree. And you know what is surprising, Celine? I've st- even just recently, I saw a female athlete's training peaks, um, programming from her coach. Uh, I won't name names of course, but he prescribed her a three hour fasted ride. Oh my God. Um, <sighs> In a high volume training week, and I this is where my blood pressure went. <laughs> right oh, mine so, I mean, too. I know oh, so, we both need to deep breathe. <gasps> if there's anyone out there getting advice like that, even though if you're oh, probably in this audience, you should know more now, but it's like spread the news that that's not okay. That's not okay. <laughs> I'm almost teary. Wow, that's not okay. Oh, that's not okay. Mm-mm. That's not okay. It's not okay on so many levels. Like, cause, So let's take this, like, for everyone listening, like, one step further. What does you in at your marathon? What does you in at your Ironman? What does you in, like, on anything where you're going a little longer, you're throwing up on the bike, you're, you're, you're get your stomach's upset on the run, like your nutrition, like that part does you in. And if you don't practice what you're going to be doing, your body is not going to be able to be like all of a sudden you're taking in 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour when you haven't done that ever. And your body's like, I don't know what to do with that. Exactly. You're going to be doing this for how many hours? (laughs) Exactly. But this came from the whole fat, let's make you a better fat burner by doing all these fasted workouts. And, um, So, yeah, I mean, there there are a lot of things wrong with that. But to your point, well, geez, we're not we're not training our guts and figuring out what the heck we're going to fuel with and how it feels and, and how much I need to to, you know, perform well and so forth, let alone all of those other problems with chronic fasted workouts or those long fasted workouts. And all the stress that they cause inside all the all the. Mm stress response you get from it that is so counterproductive yeah 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 we can say don't do that (laughs) (laughs) 
what do you what do you think? I mean, I know you talked a little bit about it during your um, performance summit speech about biohacking, which is uh, extremely popular right now, of course. And I am right. You can see that the audience can't. I'm testing the Super Sapien continuous glucose monitor. Oh, good. Which, which is kind of interesting, you know, like, I mean, people with type 1 diabetes, or type 2 even probably, have been wearing these for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just, it tells me my blood sugar in real time. Yeah. And I, I, what, what they're going to be doing eventually is you'll have it on your little head unit or on your watch or whatever you're doing. So you can see like, oh, your blood sugar is trending downwards and it's not looking so good. So you might want to put something in the tank, you know, so it's really interesting, but it's been super it's been really interesting to me to watch like things that I would have assumed would cause my blood sugar to go up that haven't and things that I would not have assumed to make it go like, as you can see the spikes, you know, so I came home from a ride. I was really hungry and I had a little roasted potato and what that little roasted potato did (laughs) my blood sugar, like immediately after a ride was fascinating. Like it just went boom. And I was like, wow. Okay. Like, I guess that's good. Sort of, maybe not. It's just so interesting that, but I think like the whole biohacking thing is interesting, but a lot of you get a lot of information that you might not know how to translate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it is amazing all of the tech that we have at our hands to learn more about how our individual body responds, but we have to, I don't know, I'm just a fan of, well, let's make sure we're also covering all the other bases, like how you actually feel, because we, we're losing sight of so much of that. That's a, that's a theme I'm, I'm, I'm seeing throughout this whole thing. How do you feel? No, and I think that's really important. Like a lot of times I strip all the stuff off my training. I put it in my pocket because I like the numbers afterwards. But it is amazing how you really, the numbers often just reflect how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like you, you, it's, and it's, it's better to just, because if you, if you, you can let the numbers limit you in some ways, you know, and, and, and to dictate how you feel instead of just going out and then, and then using the numbers to sort of see like, to validate what you were feeling or to figure out what you were feeling. Does that make yes, sense? Yes. I think it, it goes in so many areas of what we're being told. Even, Celine, like um, for us women tracking menstrual cycles or, you know, yeah. like, well, you should feel amazing when you have your period because hormones are flatlined, but not everyone does. So if we're given this message that like you should da 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 and we don't, it's like, oh no, what, what's wrong, you know? What's wrong with me? So I think, um, the tech or some of the, you know, the, the generalizations we have to be careful of, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of using some of the, the hacks like the continuous glucose monitor, I think reveals that individual response to food, which is huge. So even though I could say, well, that little bit of potato shouldn't bother anyone post-exercise, you know, learning what your own individual response is and looking at perhaps reasons why or just learning more that some of these foods do work better or, or maybe perhaps not for you, it helps build on the foundation we've already established. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I've professed my love for the aura ring on the show numerous times and, but it's the same, it's the same thing. Like if you wake up and you feel fresh and you feel good, then, then you feel fresh and you feel good, right? Like, like don't, I, I don't ever let metrics sort of override, like, what you're saying, like, how do you feel? Because at the end of the day, like, how you feel is is what you're looking for. Yes. Yeah, we can, uh, I know, pros and cons, because for some of us who aren't in touch with how we feel, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like, well, fair. okay, I, I need some of the data to help me understand or else teach me. Oh, yeah. Okay. Maybe you I, could feel better and you don't know it. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's, that's fair, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure I've, you see that. I have seen that, especially with the HRV. Uh, oh, the heart well, rate variability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like, well, uh, for example, this low energy availability state 
you know, I, I can do my back end calculations for an athlete and like, ooh, look at their training. Like I'm, we've got to get some more calories in or change the, you know, change the exercise load or training load. Um, but if the athlete is resistant to that, sometimes we need the, the biohacks to come in like the heart rate mm. variability to just show geez, you, you know, your recovery score is starting to trend down or, you know, mm-hmm. your readiness uh, assessment is, and it's just armor to, to then make some shifts. But sometimes athletes need that number, that, that gizmo to, to help turn the light bulb on. Right. No, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And that, that's the best use of those tools, I would say. How long are you wearing your CGM? Um, well, I keep knocking it off. So this is like my third. They, I'm, I'm at the worst lab rat ever because I like I'll take off my sports bra and I'll go flying across the room. So they sent me like the sports patches to put on it. So I'm wearing it for two weeks continuously. Like that's the idea. So I th- this th- this one I seem to be knock on wood keeping on my arm and it's staying in place. And then I'll have a consultation with you know, one of their people and I'll put on my next one. They last two weeks each shot and I have another one that, and I imagine I'll get some advice and, you know, based on what they're saying and, you know, follow that advice perceivably and then put the other one on and see how that works. It is very interesting. I mean, all this stuff I think is, you know, inside tracker, they're a sponsor of the show. And I think that is very interesting because there's plenty of metrics that you can, you can feel great and still have some that are, you know, maybe could cause some problems down the line, right? Yeah. And that you can get on top of. Oh, okay. I, I just have to reinforce what you said because I am a big fan of Go for blood work testing. And so even though I can mm-hmm. say how, and ask a million times, how do you feel? Okay, cool. You feel great. You're recovered. But needing that objective, you know, well, you know, the, the testing data really then can shine the light on things that maybe are starting to show signs of needing some attention. For example, like you've mentioned, um, iron stores uh, before. I can't remember if that was another podcast you were on or if it was a recent one here, but uh, just like you can feel good, but the, the blood work is actually showing maybe maybe we're reaching uh, a range here that's not optimal and at some point you're not going to feel good so we can get a, a jump on it and and tweak some things nutritionally to support you right and then you can you can literally say if it's working or not which is which is nice you know you can try to make those changes and then go back three months later whatever whatever the time frame is test again and actually just see like okay did it work you know how's it going yeah yeah Excellent. Well, I, I appreciate your, your, your time here. Is there any like thoughts that you've had for our audience that we haven't talked about yet? Mm, I think, let's see, Celine, I think, I think what comes to mind is just, you know, the conversations that we're having and the ability to have the discussions uh, on many different layers here as active and athletic women in perimenopause, just the, the different aspects that we can be affected by nutritionally and <laughs> life-wise hormonal aspects and things. So I, I think just having this conversation is amazing and for all of us sharing things together, it's just opening more doors and having appreciation for uh, you know, aging, aging well and aging, um, being able to do all the things we want to do. So I, I'm just appreciative to have a, a little teeny tiny voice here and, and also to hear what others are experiencing and support others. So I'm just thrilled with all the conversations going on. Me too. I think it, I think it makes a difference and we're lifting each other up. Well, we climb, which is all we can do. Yes. Thank you so much, Celine. Okay, that's our show. Join me next week when I sit down with physiotherapist Claire Callahan, who honestly, I could have talked to for 
hours. She had so, so, so much great wisdom and advice for maintaining strong, resilient bones, muscles, and connective tissues. You will not want to miss this one. So tune in next week. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends, and please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.